Hello, welcome back to Keep Digging for Life, your seminary on the go. I am your host, Jason Epps. I know I promised in last episode or the episode before that that I was going to discuss the differences between dispensationalism and covenantalism. But I thought, given the current events in my own life, it would be more prudent uh, for me to cover how God interacts with us in our trials, how he is actually present. So, sorry, John. Uh, You'll have to wait another week. Uh, I will tell you that this is originally adapted from a Devotion I did for my uh, newsletter, the uh, word um, word of life ministry at my church. So this is an adaptation of that, and I hope it will be edifying. Welcome back to Keep Digging for Life. The first thing we need to discuss is this concept called unity in Christ. What is it and where is it found? As I'm sure many of you are no doubt aware, and as the tagline of this show suggests, I encourage you to dig into Scripture. So... Everything I say has a scriptural basis. So then you may ask, where is this unity in Christ? It is all over Paul's letters, where he says phrases like, to the believers, in Christ, in Corinth, in Christ, in Thessalonica, and so on and so forth. It is the mystical And when I see mystical, I don't mean magical or ethereal or unreal. I mean supernatural, beyond our actual senses, a God action, so to speak. So that's what I mean But when I use the term mystical. It's an action by God where we through the Holy Spirit given to us by Christ at the moment of our conversion, Ephesians 1, we are united to Christ in a non-physical but still a real tangible way. In that process, we are also united with every single believer, both past, present, and even future. This has several um, in uh, this has several implications. One, the fact that we are united with Christ and united with each other 
gives us a strong sense of bond, of unity. This is what Christ himself prayed for in his high priestly prayer. It doesn't necessarily mean that we agree with everyone on everything, but that we still treat each other with dignity and respect. We are fighting towards the same goal. In addition, the unity with Christ enables us to have access to some transforming aspects via the Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul tells us to put to death the deeds of the Spirit. Uh, he also tells us in 1 Corinthians to sow to the Spirit. It's through this unity of Christ that we even have access to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So everything that is possibly good for us and is transforming us is from the Holy Spirit, is from Christ. It is not from ourselves and from our good behavior. Because of this, and here's where it gets into the tie-in with suffering, we are seen as one with Christ. Paul, before he was Paul, was known as Saul, and he was a heavy persecutor of the church. But what did Jesus say to Paul on the road to Damascus? Not, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my Christians? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So it's not only we can identify with Christ, it's Christ can identify with us. We are, in a sense, one with him, which shows even more his care. Not only did he die with us, or die for us, excuse me, he also designed it in such a way that he chooses to fully identify with us and, and sees us even as himself in some sense. And we will get into greater detail in the next segment when I talk about how our sufferings play into that. Welcome back. So we've seen in the past segment that we are united with Christ via the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our deposit and is given to us through Christ according to Titus. And it's through this Holy Spirit that we are united to Christ, that we have access to the fruit of the Spirit and that we can sow to the Spirit and thus reach, reap eternal rewards, as it says in Corinthians. Now, 
what else? What else is important, you might ask? Well, there's a big glaring thing here is what about suffering? And how does that relate? And to be extremely clear here, the, the phrase in Christ has us it in the closest possible relationship, most intimate possibility that we can have with Christ. We are mutually sharing with him and his benefits. This is what Paul is talking about with us being co-heirs. Now, back to the suffering. And let me just give you a little background before I get into this of what I had thought before. I had thought, because of my disability, yeah, yeah, Christ loves me, but I'm just a choking person. You know, he was in the middle of saving everybody else, but I don't really matter that much. You know, or he may love me, but he doesn't really know what it's like to feel my pain, to feel my discomfort. He may have lived a human life, but he never was confined to a wheelchair experiencing bodily pain. You know, he may have a plan, but it's a far off, calculated, uh, comfortable plan. At least that's what I thought. Till I ran across the scripture that says, For just as we've received the sufferings of Christ, so we too may comfort other, uh, so that through him, so the suffer. Ugh. It's a complicated scripture. It's in Second Corinthians one three through five. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort others. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows, so that we may in turn comfort others with the comfort we have received from God. Phew. I did it! Yay! Gosh. All right, so let's try and walk through that. Uh, so what is it saying here? It's saying that because of the unity, our unity in Christ, we're experiencing Christ's sufferings. We're experiencing the rejection he is. But on the flip side, he's also experiencing ours, as we saw in Acts 9. But in addition to that, we're receiving comfort from Christ. Strength and power and comfort. Now, comfort has these a two-sided uh, coin. Comfort can be seen as either encouraging corporate lament or encouraging the cessation of corporate lament. Job's friends did both of these. The first time they engaged in corporate lament. The second time they tried to stop him from lamenting. 
And that's when he referred to them as miserable comforters. <laughs> so, side point. You don't want to shortchange a person's lamenting process. It is a process that's, that's involved there. So, we see... We experience Christ's suffering. Christ in turn experience ours. Christ then comforts us. But that comfort doesn't stop there. Oh no. That comfort is also used to help comforting others. You see, we're a body in addition to be connecting with the unity of Christ. So we work as a unit. Now, we don't want to push it too hard. There are some people that say, and I might get into this eventually. I won't tell exactly when I will, so I won't get in trouble with John. I kid. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. But there are some people that say that the community, therefore, the body of believers, is interprets the scripture and has the authoritative power to interpret the scripture. Unfortunately, that is grounded in a postmodern idea that the individual cannot determine the truth of the material. And to that I say, poppycock. The Bible was written to be understood. Literature is written to be understood. In fact, just a an interesting case study, the books on postmodernism that have these crazy ideas that books can't be read and understood by individual people and you're forced to impose your own thoughts in it. Alright. So, as I was saying... Sorry about that, I was having technical difficulties. So, as I was saying... There is this mutual comforting where we are not just the only ones being comforted, but we are meant to comfort others as a body, as an integral uh, people, if you will. Oh, I remember. Sorry. So there is this. Yes. So postmodern hermeneutics states that the group, uh, that an individual reader can't, is only forced to impose what they think and what they feel onto a text. You can't learn any additional information. And related to that is the interpretation belongs to a group and therefore no no one is more authoritative than another. Well, let's break this down. And I will go into this hopefully sometime at greater depth. But just roughly, the fact of stating that a person cannot is only forced to impose their own thoughts under uh, under a book and read defeats uh, when they read it defeats the purpose of actually writing writing is to disseminate to learn information i don't have to have lived in 1940 to understand what was going on with it when I read it in a history book? <laughs> in addition, these people who suppose that postmodern hermeneutics write these books assuming we can understand what they're talking about. 
So why do they have this sort of crazy, kooky double standard? And again, I I would say the point of an interpretation resting with the community, well, that doesn't always work because, um, or that doesn't hold true, because while it is best for us to be in a believable, believing, God-honoring community, we're not always in that case. I was in a church that did not study the Word of God at all. I I grew up Methodist, and yeah, it was a bit wonky. All I had was my Bible and the Holy Spirit to help me. So, really, while a community can be helpful, it is not necessary. The way we determine what what interpretation of the text is appropriate is we look at the options and we weigh the evidence like you would in a courtroom and of course we bring in God for direction through the Holy Spirit now just by saying we have the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily uh, give our interpretation carte blanche because we also have our sinful nature. So that is why we need to constantly keep it in check and to compare the word with the word to make sure that we are coming to the best possible interpretation. But either way, we are meant to function as a community with caring and integrating and supporting each other and comforting each other. But to know the wisdom of when to be in solidarity with comforting or to cease comforting. That's another thing. So, and that is the suffering component to it. Welcome back. So now that we've seen what the unity in Christ is, namely that we are um, benefiting from Christ, having his um, qualities through the Spirit, able, enabling us to gradually become more and more Christ and being more and more like Christ and being united with each other and having Christ's uh, sufferings to us and his comfort and that Christ experiences the sufferings with us. Now, what is the practical application for this? Well, as um, as I was kind of pointing to in several experiences in my life, because of my physical disability and wheelchair, I've often thought, you know, Christ doesn't experience my pain. But when I came to that passage, I realized he is close. He does experience it. He's not commanding it like a far-off general. He is identifying himself with my pain, which makes him to be the one and only person that I could really come with all my concerns and pains about the future. Because 
the only person that really understands the true pain is a person that have experienced it. A lot of people can empathize, but it's not the same thing. Christ, not only does he love and care for you for dying, but he knows exactly what you've gone through because he's gone through it with you. So he can totally understand what you are going through. So this is a radical was a radical realization for me because I realized that God does extremely love me because he, and also that he experiences what I experience because he's choosing to take on my pain and my discomfort. That shows how much he loves me and loves you. And this really kind of has come to a head this past couple of weeks with the uncertainty that I've been facing with the rejection of my doctoral application. I've been wondering what I should do. I've been working two years towards this. I don't even know why it was rejected. So I am going to be pursuing to get more information, hopefully, uh, my meeting uh, will go well. I will follow up on future podcasts to explain how that has gone. But, yeah, so all in all, the short of it is, is that Christ experiences our sufferings and we are thus comforted by it. The comfort is not something that we ourselves can gain, but it is divinely given. This is the only thing that helps us continue through the difficult and hard times. So this is significant to the nth degree because it makes us realize that Christ is with us every step of the way, that he is really planning our lives to good because he knows how horrible and painful in the moment it could be, but he knows objectively that it would be better in the end. It's kind of like the Garden of Gethsemane, which I just spoke on in my men's Bible study, where Christ is recognizing the pain, but he knows that since he's God, that this ultimately brings to the best possible solution. God sees the whole design of the tapestry, but he also knows how difficult it is for us in the individual moments. So, he is not just an arbitrary taskmaster, but a caring father. And that's it. I'll see you next week. Bye. Until then, keep digging.